everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and this is the Mike Van Meter Show. And thanks again for joining us for your one-stop shop for everything having to do with the Constitution, conservatism, and frankly, just uh, what I think is the right way of living your life. And I'm great to see you guys. And if I have my happy face on today, it's because a lot of you know, if you follow the podcast, I've been working on another graduate degree from the Hazel and Betty Ford Graduate School for Addiction Studies. That's a long title, by the way. But the uh, degree is Addictions and Co-Occurring Disorders. Equally long uh, (laughs) title for a degree. But hey, guys, the news is I finished that degree on Saturday. And so I'm happy and excited because this means I can go out and uh, help help uh, people that need the help and with that are struggling with addiction, mental health issues, PTSD, suicide. And it, it, those of you that have followed my career know that I mainly do that type of work with uh, first responders in the military because that's my background. That's where my heart is. And these are the folks that we need to support. And if you guys know that. And the reason why I start off mentioning that is I had a great meeting uh, this last week with a woman named Melissa Roby, and I'm going to introduce you to her today. And how we met is I was invited out to a law enforcement roundtable for a candidate here in Northern Virginia, Yesley Vega. She's running for the 7th District congressional seat here in Northern Virginia. It's a, it's a congressional seat, and uh, we are within the 90-day mark of the election. And I went out to support Yesley because I do support her, and we had a discussion with a, a number of folks regarding law enforcement issues and sort of brainstorming ideas and the way that we can improve law enforcement, support law enforcement, and encourage law enforcement and do all the things that we need to do to help them do their job to protect our communities and our our nation. So met Melissa there, and she is the founder of We Back the Blue, and it was founded back in 2020, which is National Police Advocacy Organization. And um, she's going to walk through her background with us a little bit, but I had a chance to talk to her before coming on the air today, and she is a big, big supporter of law enforcement, not just here in Virginia, but across the country. And we need more of that because, uh, you know, guys, we're going to get this country back on track. I am confident of that and we're going to do it together. So with that, Melissa, thanks for coming on the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and congrats on your degree. (laughs) Thanks. I'm so happy. Can you tell I'm happy? Yes, I am. Yes. Oh, it was it was all consuming for two and a half years. If I had any free moment, it was working on that degree, which is great. I love the topic, but anything, anytime you do anything for, you know, it's one thing to study something because you want to study it, but when you're constantly being tested on it, it just takes the fun out of it. But uh, but I'm glad to be done, and thank you, thank you for pointing that. So thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, kind of talk to us about uh, how did you get into this? You know, you're founder of We Back the Blue, and you're a big advocate for uh, first responders. Uh, what? How did you get into this? What, what what motivated you to do it? So, well, first and foremost, I have family that's in law enforcement currently, uh, but my father was in PD, my aunt was in PD, and my grandfather was a Virginia State Trooper. Um, so that being said, I have that blue blood already. But I was uh, in the throes of politics when 2020 riots occurred, and I sort of sat there in amazement like everybody else and sort of couldn't really figure out why nobody was supporting law enforcement through all of that. And I waited a couple days, and and Captain David Dorn was killed in St. Louis. And after I kind of gathered myself after he was uh, brutally killed, I sort of looked around, and I was like, okay, is 
is anybody going to stick up for our police? And so I, I, I waited like two days. I gave myself two days. And so I called some friends and I said, Hey guys, like we have to do something. I, I, I kind of want to do a March in DC. I want, and they're like, what? And so we kind of gathered some friends and all of a sudden this, this beautiful thing happened. And, um, I sat in my, I remember sitting in my basement going, what am I going to call this? And I wrote down, we back blue because we back the blue, uh, we, the people back the blue. And so I, that was, that became the name of it. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, people were making t-shirts and, you know, first March in the whole country. And, and so we did it. And Tom Homan came and he was like in the back of everybody, like I got this. And it was just an amazing time um, to go and just stand up for our law enforcement. And I got to tell you, uh, to see the tears in their eyes as we marched by them made it very crystal clear to me that this is what I should be doing. And so um, I was doing some political work prior to that and I quit my job and I just went into this full time and started doing rallies and marches and uh, advocacy events across the country. And so that's kind of what catapulted me in. Wow. So what is it that, so we back the blue, what kinds of things do you do in the organization? We've done a lot of different things. So, uh, you know, on top of the marches and rallies and, uh, you know, police advocacy events in that light, we have done online events for mental health. We did oh. the Balance Summit last year, the first ever. Uh, we had about 300 officers from all over the country. I'm talking Portland, PD, New Mexico, Baltimore, D.C., Virginia. And I actually got some working credits for Virginia officers who came and attended that um, because it, it, at the height of COVID, it was really hard to get, you know, credits. And so I provided that for them. I had some vendors come and we all talked about mental health. What does that look like? And, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, kind of get some help. And um, I had eight subject matter experts there. And then we had breakout sessions with Ann Dorn, who's the wife of Captain David Dorn, who was killed. Uh, her and I have become really close, which is kind of strange in its own right. And um, so we did the Balance Summit. We've done softball games like Fairfax County Police versus Prince William Police. Um, we've done golf tournaments. We've done, you know, speaking engagements across the country. Uh, I went down and gave some awards in Miami last year, which is turning into like a yearly event. Uh, I go down to Doral and I provide um, awards to officers that have like done exemplary work. And then their whole squad comes in and it's kind of like a really big deal. And so anything I can do to kind of up the morale and help these guys and let them know that there's people out there, even though you feel like you're in a world where that is not true, there's absolutely people out there that back you and love you and support you. And so that's kind of my mission. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And I, and if you're a, a law enforcement officer and you're listening to this, I want you to know that the fact is that many, many people support law enforcement. But having come from a law enforcement background, I, I went through this myself, you know. I, by the way, I didn't know Melissa that you're, you had family members that were MPD, Metropolitan Police Department of DC, mm -hmm. correct? You yes. know, I was a DC police officer before I became an FBI agent. Yes, yeah, I I, do. so I didn't realize that we had that in common until just now. And the problem when you're in police work, particularly big city police work, um, and I'm retired FBI agent. I think right now a lot of FBI agents are, are feeling this. You think that everybody. And, and on the planet is against you when that's not the case. But the, the media makes it sound like that that's the case. And I want you to know that we are there for you and, and the public is behind you. It's a very, very vocal minority that are not 
with you, but it is that vocal minority. But law enforcement in particular, and, and for all first responders to a degree, but law enforcement in particular, it's a very closed world because, you know, you're only dealing with, you know, people only call you when you have a problem. Nobody's calling you to say, hey, officer, I want to let you know what a great, just thought I'd I'd flag you down and tell you what a great day I'm having, or I'm, you know, I called 911 to, to let them know how much we appreciate right. you. That doesn't happen, right? It'd be nice if it did, <laughs> but call the non-emergency line. Don't call 911 for that, but we'd love to talk to you. But they, uh, it's the negative stuff, and that starts to eat away at you after a while. And um, understand well, that this too shall pass. This, I think we're in a phase, and I think that we're already starting to see this phase because this wokeness where we've shut down and defunded police departments has given us every metric that you can look at has has increased at least 100%, and in some cases, 400%. For example, in D.C., the homicide rate went up 400%. Whatever we were doing isn't working, and it's going to cycle back, and we are going to get behind police again as a nation. I'm convinced of it. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Oh, I totally agree with that. And one of the things that, you know, I said I was doing politics prior to this. Well, I'm I'm dabbling. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I would say I'm dabbling back in it a little bit. I'm supporting... Um, three candidates here um, in Virginia that are running congressional races. And I think that, unfortunately, uh, although the brownies at the precincts are great, and I think they really appreciate that, I think when people say they back the blue, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to back the blue. And so I just feel this kind of calling to help them. So Mm -hmm. I'm the law enforcement director for several coalitions um, for these campaigns. And I'm kind of teaching people what what the real issues are and what the legislation needs to be and what has mm-hmm. been done. And, and I think people don't know that. There's so much about law enforcement that people nope. just don't know. Um, I personally went through the um, Prince William County, what is it, the um, Citizens Police Academy. Oh, awesome. And Great. Yeah, yeah. And that was like, that was really good for me because yeah. you get to understand really what they do. You have officers that are patrol but they're also canine and they're also, you know, you have SWAT and then you have people that are just doing stuff all across the board. You've got motor units that are doing different jobs within the PD and they, they all kind of lift each other up and, and do different stuff. And and you will never know that unless you actually dive into the profession itself, which yeah. most people don't take the time to do. No, that's true. And I'm glad that you did that, and I really wish that more people would do it, because I know when I talk to people about law enforcement, and I talk about what it's really like on the inside when you're doing the job, it really opens people's eyes. And I think the public, the problem is we have a media today, Melissa, let me run, let me just kind of set this up for you, and I'll give you my take on it, and then I want to hear your take on it. We have a, a media that tells the public what they think they should know about law enforcement, which is a very skewed notion of it and what they're doing is they're trying to drive wedges between police and the public right or just drive wedges in general but let's just stick with the law enforcement and what they never point out is that there are things that we can do to come together and think i mean for example can we improve law enforcement i think we can you know, I taught at the FBI National Academy, and I, I have taught many, many police executives. There are things that we can do better. We do not do things perfectly. Like, for example, we can, um, <clears throat> instead of sending out social workers to go to domestic um, um, domestic violence cases, 
if you've worked law enforcement, you know that's an insane idea to send an unarmed social worker to a domestic situation. I was a cop. The, one hands down, the most dangerous thing I ever did was show up to domestic disputes. Um, now, can can we send social workers with cops? Eh, may, yeah, we can, but uh, that'll last for a while, and you don't have that many social workers to do that, right? And what do you, you what do you call them when you need that? It's it's not practical. But how about this? How about training? police officers to be more equipped like a social worker would be do they do you need to be a social worker to be a cop no but there are elements of that training like the the degree that i just got there was a lot of elements of that sort of training in the degree that i just got and we can provide that training to police officers i uh, many of you know i'm running for the state senate here in in virginia the 33rd district and that's one of the things that i will be proposing is that the state of virginia have units that can go and actually train police officers on the basic concepts that a social worker would have but do that with police officers. Why can't we do that? I think we can do that. I think it's possible. But um, to but people just oversimplify this and think that they, well, here's what police officers can do, or let's replace police officers with this. No, there's a reason why you're armed and you're trained the way that you are, because it's a dangerous job. And if you don't believe it, then just come sp- go ride along with any cop overnight on a weekend. It'll change your mind. You, you will do away with any notion of, of what they're proposing in one night. You'll change your opinion on that. And and I, it sounds like you got some exposure to that as well when you did the Citizens Academy. Of course. And I, I, I definitely, I'll, I'll comment on the media. I mean, they, they absolutely paint a picture of law enforcement that it couldn't be more <laughs> far from the truth about right. who these men and women really are. And I think that they this whole defund the police they've done a beautiful job i'll compliment them they've done a beautiful job on how they have uh destructively um uh, dismantled these pds what they're doing and and this is why political world helps me uh what they've done is they've gone to these um you know the chiefs and the I'm sorry, the administrators that 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 kind of hire the chiefs and control all the money and they've made all those folks democratic, the democrats. Mm-hmm. They've they've made them democrats. And so what they do is they control what money goes into the PD and how it goes in. So they're not putting the money in the right places. Like we need raises, but no, we're not going to do that. And Prince William County, they went ahead and bought new like printers for those squat cars. Oh, okay, great. That no one likes and no one uses. Instead of a raise, they spent $3 million on that and that depleted morale a little bit. Right. So you don't get your raise, but you, you have to use this printer now. It's, it's, it's little things like that, that have, and I know that sounds like a really stupid example, but it's absolutely true because they see through it. They know that the money they should have gotten in their paycheck is now sitting in their squat car instead of, you know, being utilized in, in a better way. Mm-hmm. And they don't like them, by the way. They don't even want to use them. But that's neither here nor there. I won't speak for all of them. I'll say, you know, the ones that I've spoken with about that particular topic. But they've also, you know, introduced um, the, the I would say, like CRT for cops mm-hmm. into their curriculum. And how is that, how is that helpful? You, you've basically pigeonholed them all to be racist and mm-hmm. this and that, and, and you've taken away their ability to even like, uh, I don't even know, relate to people in their community. And so even um, National Night Out, and I know I'm hopping all over the place, but this is just a very, very 
passionate topic for me. Mm-hmm. You know, National Night Out, I went to the one in Alexandria, you know, there was all these tables set up in the Carlisle area, not one table for law enforcement. It was like different vendors and give it giveaways and National Night Out is for law enforcement. It's for law enforcement to be with their community, showcase how they care about them because I I haven't met one person that's a law enforcement officer that doesn't care about their community, that doesn't love the kids and want to help. And, you know, why do you not have them there? Because what you've done is you've painted this stigma that they're all bad. So you don't want to have their badge. You don't want to have their giveaways. You don't want to have their stuff laying around. It's, it's, it's deplorable. I, I can't even, I can't even tell you how um, disheartening it is to walk in. And so I went around the different, um, national night out areas in Alexandria with Karina Lipsman. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we went to a couple of these locations and you got one officer standing there. You got firemen, you've got a cookout, you've got all this stuff happening. You've got one police officer standing there and it's no stickers, no, you know, no lights on, on the cruiser. I mean, what have we done? We've completely just tried to dismantle everything that policing and community policing was about. So for me, the defunding is not about money. And, and back to my point, I mean, brownies at the precincts are great, but people need to step up and start getting involved with their local legislature. They have to get yep. involved in these elections and get involved with these candidates and stop saying I back the blue and then just sitting there and saying, oh, if I'm nice to police, like that's how I do it. No, because they're going to be eradicated and there's a whole new level of policing happening underneath that you're not going to like. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I did a podcast a while back, about a year ago, and I said the same thing. For those that, that and a lot of the Democrats, I think, theoretically, start with a good idea, meaning we've got problems in, in the police department. So here, but this is where they go off the rails because they don't know how to fix it. They know how to break things. They don't know how to fix things. And what, what they do, they, they set off down this court, we're going to defund the police. We're going to attack the police. What happens is the police aren't going away. You have to have a police department. But what you're going to do is you've created a situation where you're, the, the people that you're starting to, you can't recruit anybody, and those that you do recruit are not the people you want to be recruited. And if you don't like policing now, you just wait 10 years. Wait 10 years. These people that are coming in now that are not of the quality that you would have had otherwise are really going to be a mess down the road. And I've oh, seen, and I have a lot of yeah. chiefs and sheriffs that are telling me that. They're, hey, for example, um, uh, I heard the Mario Bowser, the mayor in Washington, D.C., uh, made an announcement the other day that she's she's down like 350, 400 officers um, in, in D.C. Well, I was in Georgetown last week, and I was talking to a D.C. police officer, and I made a comment. I said, yeah, Mario Bowser said you guys are down 400. I feel for you guys. And he looked at me, and he goes, dude, dude. She's wrong. We're down about fourteen hundred. We're not down right. four hundred. So she's telling the public one thing. The reality oh, yeah. uh, is something else. And this 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 kid that I was talking to, this police officer, completely he was burned out. I could I could I worked in that department. I could just see the burnout on his face and oh, yeah. uh, the beat down. And you know you can't do that. But all at Fairfax, where I live, Prince William, they're not meeting the recruiting goals. They, they haven't been. But what's interesting to me, and I'm going to speak on a total we back blue level here, okay? So <laughs> I don't want these comments to be misconstrued as anything else. But I will say that, you know, it's interesting to me that over the last 30 days, now we're crying out that, oh, we're down. It's a crisis. It's been a crisis. Since 2020 happened and you allowed your officers to be talked to and treated like total crap, 
and then you haven't stuck up for them and you haven't had their back. I have yet to meet one chief in this area that has stood up and said, I'm going to allow you to do your job. I'm not going to stand in your way. Of course, you can't go out and do, you know, crazy stuff and do whatever you want. You have to follow the guidelines. But, you know, I'm going to have your back and, and we're going to build on that. Not one of them. Not one of them. And, you know, you talk about leaving. You've got these men that have been there for 20 years. Those are the guys that we want to train these new guys coming in, right? Mm -hmm. No, they're out of there. They're not even waiting until 25. They're out of there at 20 because they don't want to deal with it. And if you think it's because of the BLM rhetoric or whatever, it's not. It's because the people up top do not support their men and women and they're sick of it and they don't want to work in that environment. And so the same people that are screaming, we're, we're down this many officers are the same people that should be sitting in their roll call going, what can I do? And yeah. they're the same people that aren't doing that. So, yeah. And I, and I'll tell you, we have a crop of candidates that are supporting the police and they are on board with everything that we're talking about. So if you're listening to this podcast and, and this is, if this is striking a chord with you, you have to understand elections matter. A lot of people say, Oh, oh yeah. politics. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday about, oh, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to hear about that. And I, well, I, I tell you what, uh, I had, I had one political candidate that came on this, this podcast at one point, And she said something that really stuck with me. She said, you do politics or politics is going to do you. And I thought, ooh, that's a good line. And it's so true that, folks, in November, we have a choice to make. Do you want this to continue, what we're doing right now? Or do you want people that support law and order and, and justice in, in, in our police departments and our, and by extension, the rest of the first responders, firefighters, EMTs, and, and our corrections officers? And by the way, corrections officers always get left out, but I love corrections officers and we need to support you folks as well. But we have candidates that, are of that mindset and we have to support these people we have to support them because it is uh and i'm going to switch gears here melissa to another area that i know that you're passionate about because let's go a little bit deeper into um just the leaving early retiring early not recruiting and that is the people that stay on the job so let you you go through all this and you stay on the job mental health addiction family violence uh, depression, PTSD, all that kind of stuff. Look, I've been in this field. I, I'm lucky to be alive after all the years of doing this job. And I wasn't even in law enforcement when the country turned against us. And, it, and it's still a incredibly toxic. There is not a more toxic profession on your mind, soul, and body than, than law enforcement, but we've made it even more so. And I know, Melissa, you're real passionate about that field. Can you maybe touch on some of the stuff that that, that you do in that realm and training and uh, programs, things along those lines, wellness? Sure, sure. So, I mean, by no means am I the subject matter expert on this, but I can tell you that you will find that first responders will die of suicide before they'll die of uh, on-the-job related incident. Um, and that's just the statistic that is far and wide. So knowing that and having family in law enforcement, I, again, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, what can I do? So I've kind of made it a mission to go out and um, cultivate a group of people that want to see that in Virginia, see a change in the first responder mental health realm. Um, without really getting too far into the minutiae of what I do for my day job, mm -hmm. um, I am, you know, doing stuff on a statewide level now 
uh, to try to provide those resources to them. I got a call on Christmas, uh, this past Christmas, and it was um, a delegate down in Southwest Virginia. And he said, I have a, you know, an officer here um, who's had an incident, doesn't want to go to the hospital because he knows everybody there. What do I do? And I'm like, uh, I'm just a girl. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh, just wrong number. <laughs> know who to give you. Yeah. But it was like, you know, it's Christmas, you know, night. And this person's going through this. And of course, you know, I'm not going to not help. So I, I knew who to call, thank God, because I had done the balance summit the year before because I had, you know, kind of made all of those contacts and traveled the country and met the people that I really believe um, were in, integral and in, in making good mental health stuff happen for, for officers. Um, I was able to, to get him that information, but they don't have the resources. Like they don't know um, who to call when something like this happens. And, and I don't know, I'm sure you know, you do know that there are no um, counselors. If you make a call right now and you call a, a therapist, they're either booked not accepting new patients or whatever the other thing is that they can't, you know. So yeah. where do they go? Where do and they that's go? by the way, that's not limited law for it. That's for everybody. No, that's that, everybody. that's everybody. Yeah. Oh no, no. And and the best thing is, you know, the worst thing you could do for depression is, you know, isolate. And we just isolated everybody for eighteen months. So no yeah. wonder we're having like a, you know. A download of people that are completely depressed. But anyways, there's no resources for these guys. They don't know where to go. They don't, and they don't want to reach out to their local hospital. They know the people there, right? Because they're doing, you know, about the TDO ECO crisis. So they're mm -hmm. always there, like dealing with those people. And then where do they go? Who do they talk to? And so for me, I just wanted to kind of get all of the key players together and have an all skate and say, hey, this, you know, we need somebody for addiction. We need somebody you know, for fire, we need somebody for EMS, we need somebody for police and, you know, Virginia Department of Health, DBHDS. We have to gather these people that are already doing some things and provide those resources to everyone. You know, all too often people in this field say, this is mine. This is my thing. This is my seminar. This is my information. But really, it, it should be shared vastly because you could save a life. And so for me, the critical point of uh, doing a, a first responder kind of office um, without giving too much away. Mm -hmm. um, for me, the critical point of that is that we get all these people together. We get the, you know, Virginia Sheriff's Association, all those kinds of key players that are really involved in law enforcement. And we say, here's a, here's a resource guide. This is what you give to all your guys if, if this is happening or give them a place to land. Don't make them feel bad about having you know ptsd or depression or whatever these men and women see things that quite frankly i'm not in law enforcement and i've heard some stories that i can't let go of mm -hmm. i can only imagine going through that and not having the resources available to kind of deal with it you know well you know what melissa uh you kind of hit on something that's special to me and is a driving force for me getting into this field and and so a lot of you know that I actually have another podcast that I do that deals strictly with uh, addiction and mental health and wellness, right? And uh, if you're interested in that, you know, it's called Recovery is Possible. Go out and check out that thing. Um, you will hear nothing political on that. It is strictly, uh, 
that is just strictly wellness stuff. And I want to keep that that way because that's, you know, when I, uh, by the way, what, whatever realm you come from, even if you and I are don't agree on any politics or anything, you know, when it comes to wellness, uh, I'm there and we need to be completely uh, focused upon that. So that's a different world. That's why I have a separate podcast for that. But what drove me into that work, and I mentioned that I just finished this graduate degree in addictions, co-occurring disorders. What drove me into that, Melissa, was the very things that you're talking about. When I... Um, when I went in to get help for myself for alcoholism, I made those calls that you're talking about, and it was it could not have been handled any more poorly if you had tried to handle it poorly. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that to disparage anyone, because I think that the people I was dealing with genuinely were trying to help. I think they just didn't have the resources. I don't think they knew what they were doing. And that's very different than trying to harm somebody. And I want to, I want to be very, very clear. And I'm very grateful for the people that helped me along the way. But what it did was it planted in the seed, the seeds in my mind that I thought we can do better than this because we actually do have the resources. We have the resources, but the, the police leadership in the executive leadership in all these departments, they just don't know where those resources are and how to tap into them and utilize them. And and also, there's something, there's just something about having somebody as a counselor, uh, an instructor, or whatever whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever your situation is, that's where there's somebody from that field. Because Melissa, you know as well as I do, the, the law enforcement community is kind of a closed community for a lot of different reasons. You know, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. people don't want to go to the hospital because they know people. Or maybe I arrested, I don't want to go to an AA meeting over here because maybe there's people I've arrested and and a lot of different reasons, just the, the shame, the embarrassment, all those kinds of things. And there's just something comforting about walking in and talking to a counselor that came from your background. Oh, you were a cop too. Oh, you were a firefighter. You were in the military, whatever the case may be. And in learning that, look, there is a way to, there is a path to wellness and understanding what it's like to go through what we go through on a daily basis in law enforcement and also understand the pressures of being attacked by the public. And they, the resources are there. But we just, uh, and it sounds like you're involved in some work that's that's tapping into that. And I'm so glad that we're doing that because I'm telling you, when I went through, when I went through, it was not there. And uh, we're losing a lot of people as a result of that. We are losing well, a lot of people. Also, and I'll add to that, <laughs> we have these trainings in place where you have somebody reading from a PowerPoint, you know, trauma is 97%, like no one wants to sit through that. They want to hear that you've been through what they've been through. They want to know, how did you get through it? All too often, I go to these conferences, and I just went to one like two months ago um, in Nashville. You know, you go to these conferences, and they tell you what they do, but they don't tell you how they do it. Mm-hmm. They tell you where they've been. You know, they, they don't explain to these people how to really utilize the resources. And so everybody's kind of like, well, I know what to do. I know who to call, but when 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 the situation happens, when S hits the fan, <laughs> mm-hmm. so to speak, you know, they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do. So yeah, that's a big part of it. Yep. Yeah. So for me, you know, above everything on the very top of all of this is I know in my heart that first responders will respond differently to all of these incidents if they are a healthier person. If they are the healthiest versions of themselves, they're able to help in a better, more crystal clear way that they can, you know, it's not as... Um, hazy for them to do the job, if that makes sense. It is. It is. Um, so we were talking earlier about, you know, the answer, we know what the answer is not. The answer is not defunding police. 
All right, so what is the answer? I think that this, what you're talking about, is leading to the answer. That is in the, it is a public, it's an imperative that we as a community ensure that our first responders are the healthiest human beings that we can produce mentally, physically, spiritually uh, to go out on the street. Because it is such, listen, I'm going to put this in perspective. When you're a city cop like I was, do you guys understand that we would see things in one day that would put most people in therapy for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You understand that? But mm-hmm. we did it every day. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you take these healthy, intelligent, motivated people and you destroy them because of the jobs that they're doing. And then you turn around and blame them for being destroyed. But we do not provide the tools and the resources for them to get well. And then we discard them. Um, I heard it once that the said that the life expectancy of a police officer after they retire is about five years. I don't know, remember where I heard that or, and, and don't quote me on that because I'm not basing that on, on any study, study or data. But I do know this, that people go down pretty hill pretty quick after they retire. And that's a shame because we've not equipped these people to live the, the healthiest and fullest lives that they can. But you want an officer that shows up at your house, if you dial 911, you want a healthy human being. And and I think as a community, we, we have an obligation to provide the best resources we can for these people. Exactly. And I think retirement, you also brought up a very good point. We don't take care of our retirees no. in the way that we should either. I had a retiree tell me that he was starting to have nightmares out of nowhere. How do I deal with it? I again, here, here's me going, oh, but I'll find out. I may not have the answer, but I'll find it for you. <laughs> That's kind of like my MO. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I really think retirement is a big issue. I think family is a big issue. These wives are not being spouses are not being fully supported the way that you know oh, they, they yeah. could be. I think that they could be supporting their officers and their first responders a little better if they had the tools to do so. But here we are again where you don't know what you don't know, right? So we can go out and we can help the spouses and we can help the retirees and we can help the families. We can help the wives of the fallen. We can give them purpose. We can, there's so much that we can do. Yeah. If people will stop saying, mine, 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 I'm doing this. We need to all come together and help these people because we're at such a critical point right now where we are literally bleeding out our law enforcement and our first responders. They're not, they're not, they don't want to do this job. And the saddest part to me is I, I, I see that they love it. They love their job. They love going out and serving and protecting the public. One of the things the media and all of these other left-wing groups need to do is let them do their job. Stop putting restraints on them. Stop, stop telling them how to do it. Stop sending counselors out to do that. Like, just let them do their job, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And I, I agree with you on the counseling aspect that they should have some of that training. But let's, that's, there's a very fine line. Our officers are not counselors. Let's, oh, no, no, no. I don't no, want to no, turn them no, into those no. either. So they, they're, tough, they're tough cookies. Let's just keep, let them keep going. <laughs> no, no. And you're absolutely right. And I, I want to maybe just clarify. I'm not saying make them in a counselor, but there's some basic. Listen, when I was a city cop, right? Uh, if I could tell you the funny thing is, it's weird how life works out. If I had the knowledge that I have now, 
back when I was a street police officer, I would have been a much more effective police officer. Mm-hmm. So much more training and experience and, and things like that. There are certain concepts that uh, that I know are not provided to police officers that would help them as, as police officers out on the street. And that's not that's not to say that we would make them licensed counselors. You know, we're not we're not doing that. We don't need to. Don't need to do that. But we can improve the training. In fact, one of the mm-hmm. things that I um, As I am gearing up for the 2023 election for the Virginia State Senate, one of the things that I'm looking at uh, and proposing is that we, here in Virginia, because that's, you know, I'm running for a state office here in Virginia, that we create uh, groups of uh, teams, training teams to go out and and conduct that training, particularly to the the smaller departments. Because, you know, uh, folks in you know, you're all familiar with the FBI Academy and DEA Academy and all these big academies and, and some of your larger departments, LAPD, NYPD, Fairfax, up where I live, they all have their own departments and they have a lot of resources. And most of your departments aren't that way. Most of your departments are smaller departments and they don't have budgets and they don't have or budgets that yeah, would be, allow them to do things above and beyond the, the state mandated minimums. Um, I really think that the state could do a lot to provide mobile training teams to go around and provide more advanced training, because that's what this would be, advanced training to these agencies, particularly the smaller ones, to give them um, better training in, in these types of de-escalation techniques and um, critical incident training and and um interviewing and interrogation techniques you know some of the stuff that i did when i was at the fbi academy we can do that and i think that the state should be involved in it that's just my opinion but but it's based on a lot of experience and you know that's something that i am running on where i i will be advocating for that and um you know governor yunkin here in virginia if you're listening to this podcast or if your team is listening (laughs) to this podcast we can do that we have the people that can do it and uh, show the public that Virginia, you know, if I'm here in Virginia, Virginia can be the crown jewel to the rest of the nation on how to do this. We can do it. Amen. Amen. I totally agree with that. You know, and there's so so much we can do uh, instead of being reactive and doing the trauma training and the, you know, let's stop the bleed. Let's start from the beginning. Let's teach them how to deal with things mentally or how, you know, to be, have a healthier lifestyle. They're even using jujitsu now, um, you know, to help with use of force. I mean, there's so much we can do ahead instead of, you know, being reactive. And I think that that's the missing piece here. Right. We're doing all these trainings and all these conferences on uh, the impact of trauma and how to do, but let's go far beyond that and go before that and, you know, get, get to the, the problem before it occurs, you know, the alcoholism is a mm-hmm. huge thing. And, yeah. and, you know, there's, there's treatment for that. It, it can be cool to not, you know, be a drinker. It could be cool to not have to brag about how many beers you had or how much <laughs> overtime you had, or, you know what I mean? You can be cool. Without yeah. Cause I, I, you know what, Melissa, let me, <laughs> let me just throw this in. You may not know this actually, actually may, you may not know this about me. Um, August 12th folks, ladies and gentlemen was, I celebrated 10 years of continuous sobriety. Wow, Ten years, congratulations! Yeah, from alcoholism, and um, and that's that's uh, the, that was one of the bonuses of the toxicity of my profession. But you know, when you when you talk, I just have to laugh because you know you just said it's okay not to brag about your drinking. I tell you, I, I brag, I brag about my sobriety because the, the 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 most proud thing, and I've done a lot of stuff. I've been a Navy pilot. I've been you know police officer, FBI agent, all this kind of stuff. The 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 most proud thing that I have done in my life was get sober. It was, yeah. it was also one of the hardest things I did, but yeah, yeah no, guys, y- you're absolutely right, Melissa. You can brag about being sober because I do, 
uh, I'm alive today because of it. And, I, and if you're listening to this and you're struggling, you're struggling, guys, there's a hope, there's a way you can do it. I did it. It was hard, but you can do it and life gets it's, better. It's incredibly difficult. And I'll tell you on January 1 of this coming year, I'll be four years in. So I have been sober completely for four years. Um, I did not know that. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just such a different life. It is. Oh my goodness. And I I did it because my boss at the time, when I walked for Walkaway, he was sober, I think four or five years. Awesome. And so when we would go to these conservative, we'd go to these events, we were like the (laughs) non-drinkers. We were the ones that were going in, but we had such a work ethic. I mean, Mm -hmm. he, he, he really trained me to just work. We just worked all the time. And so there's just no time for that. And no. so that's what kind of helped me not have that lifestyle anymore. I used to go have wine with my girlfriends. and do other, I don't do any of that. And I couldn't be more proud of it because my body feels good and I feel good and I'm more mentally clear. And so, yeah, so we have that in common. And it's absolutely just, it's awesome. Oh, it, <laughs> no, it is. It is. And, ah. Uh, Life gets good. It really, it does. It doesn't mean that think bad things don't happen. I've, I've had more tragedy happen to me uh, in sobriety than, than actually back in my drinking days. You know, life goes yeah. on. It doesn't, life doesn't stop. But my ability to deal with those things right. is so much better. And, right. and I'll tell you something, and this is, but it goes back to our first responders that, you know, I, I, I actually talk to police officers all the time. I do presentations to police departments and I talk about how by you not drinking or, and the other thing is prescription drug abuse, uh, Oxycontin, Mm -hmm. hydrocodone, things like that. That's actually almost as big as alcohol right now with first responders by not doing that and clearing your mind. You're just a better officer. You're, you're a better off. It it just makes you better whatever it is that you do. You're better at it. When you say you're able to deal with stuff, that's absolutely true because the thing is you have to feel everything, mm-hmm. you know, before you didn't have to because you could just numb yourself. But when you have to feel those things and you have to actually go through them and you have to process them, the stress or the pain from things that happen in your life or whatever that looks like, you're such a stronger person for it. And then you know how to cognitively deal with stuff in such a better way. So, mm. yeah, I'm all for it. Oh, I did I'm not know that about it. you. Look at all the mm-hmm. stuff that we're learning about each other. That's fantastic. <laughs> Oh, and that's exciting. And I, uh, wow, we, we could go on for hours talking about, you know, the, the different elements to this, but, uh, later and and later on, we will talk about legis, you know, things that, um, that I would like to do in office. And, and part of that is just educating the public in the, the legislature on addiction and how some of the decisions that we're making are actually very counterproductive uh, to addiction. And, and that affects law enforcement as well. But with um, the work that you're doing, um, it, well, we're talking about wellness and we're talking about uh, helping the police, educating them so they're better police officers, but also on the wellness part of it. I know that you have done some work with uh, post-critical incident seminars and trauma seminars, things like that. Could you touch on that a little bit and maybe explain what that's all about and why you're doing it? So me personally, I am just, again, culminating all of these different resources to kind of, um, you know, help officers train in those different arenas. I would say that I, I work with um, Virginia Leap, you know, those kind of institutions so that they can train other officers and they can get bring other people into yeah. the fold that are going through all of the trauma and things that they need to deal with. And so for me, I'm, I'm 
doing this huge endeavor that you know about that I don't really want to like mm -hmm. completely divulge, mm -hmm. but I've worked with Ohio State, which you have. I've worked with Oklahoma, which has just in March, they started their um, Office of First Responder Wellness, which is has been a huge undertaking for him for about three years. Um, now, Ohio started theirs in November of last year, and they do those uh, trainings, but also provide resources to, you know, like different first responders, a place to call, a resource for them that is automatic. And I think we just want to do that here in this state on just such a grander level um, and make it, you know just best in class as the governor would say yeah and what what you're and for the listeners what she's talking about and and i'm i, I i'm going to speak to ohio because i've been working with them for uh about seven years now i think you said a year or are you talking about a different program with ohio um no it's clicks program but it's in it, they uh, they instituted the office of first responder wellness in uh october november of last year oh they okay the office on it for years prior but yeah oh the office, office i i got what you say they've been doing what's known as a post-critical incident seminar for a while and i think i'm i was i don't know if i was the first in the first session it was maybe the second one but it, it's been quite a while and what we're talking about and this is another thing that we can do well we are doing some of it in virginia but we can do more but uh, th this this is a program that is put together uh, uh, partially funded by the state and but they have a lot of sponsors and they go through and they look at first responders and uh, who've been through traumatic incidents and it could be shootings it could be a violent it could be maybe showing up to too many fires, uh, responding to children, you know, children that have passed away, things like that. And we bring them in. When I say we, Ohio brings them in, and it's a, a, a conference that goes on for several days, and there's mental health professionals that come in, and they're put up in a hotel, it's funded, uh, the, the first responder themselves, and they can bring one person, uh, they don't pay anything. They don't pay anything at all. They're in the hotel. All food is provided, and there's therapists that are there. There's lectures. There's there's seminars. I I actually do the for Ohio. I do the addiction piece on it, and um, talk about mindfulness meditation. Uh, they share their experiences. There's uh, individual sessions with therapists in group sessions uh, that are that are led by by peers, and and it's a great experience. Every first responder that I've talked to that has gone through that program has said it's been life changing life-changing wow. and, it, and it's fantastic and uh i know ohio's expanding what they're doing and in here in virginia what i'm excited to hear about is that virginia is doing more and more of that because again it's a public imperative a moral imperative that we do this for our first responders and Absolutely. that's just one program and and it sounds like there's some other things developing here in virginia and i know that governor yunkin is very supportive of this type of work because we we should be doing this absolutely he is and um one of the things about oklahoma that i got really excited about and this is just totally a side note is they have a um like a trauma bus that they take around to different different critical incidents do you know they have a bed that you can sleep in for 40 minutes it feels like four hours of rem oh i need that <laughs> I did not know that. I need, no, is it on Amazon? I need that now. Right? I do. Yeah. It's $800,000 for that bed. Oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Cancel the order. Cancel the no, order. No, no, <laughs> no. We're going to get one in Virginia. It's going to happen. Mm. I am like, I'm all for it. And I'm like, I will just take it from precinct to precinct and have people take naps just to test and see. <laughs> you just bring it to my house. Doing. I mean, why not? <laughs> I've not heard of that. That's, that's new yeah. to me. 
he's got cryo on the bus. He's got that bed. He's got all the stuff for critical incidents. I mean, he's really, oh, Oklahoma has really thought this out. I mean, he's done an incredible job. So he's a great uh, resource. If you've never met him, I'll, I'll make an introduction. Um, but yeah, so I follow kind of in their footsteps. I, I gather the intel. I, I don't go into this thinking, okay, I'm going to do this thing and I know everything. I know nothing. I, I go into it thinking I want to get the resources and the help and the expertise from the people that are doing it out there now. And then how can we bring Virginia, you know, agencies into the fold? And so it's an all skate. Well, that, that's exciting. That, that really is. And I'm so glad. I am so glad that we have a governor right now that is supportive of all this because we've gone through a lot. Those of you that live in Virginia to know that it's not always been that way. And I'm just so glad that we have a governor that, that is very, very supportive of our, our first responders. And, um, and we have a good crop of candidates coming up. Um, you know, yeah. um, before we go, speaking of which we, we have a, a midterm coming up here in November. Um, if you if you will, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but we do have a good crop of candidates coming up. And can you maybe touch on them and sort of in this realm, this space here, how how would they contribute to advancing what we're talking about? So I can tell you that when Governor Youngkin was running, I went to one of his events and I kind of said, hey, you know, are you going to help our first responders? Because I've been around the country and and politicians have tried to speak at my events and then I never hear from them again. And I, and so I eventually became the director of his law enforcement coalition um, for like all of last year. And so that kind of sparked something in me to help these candidates kind of form information, get, you know, what is important in the legislature? What, what issues are really important? You might talk to the chiefs and the sheriffs and by the way, I love them and they're great, but the guys that are rank and file, are the ones that know where the real problems are for mm -hmm. the most part. And so I wanted them to have the, that exposure. And so to help them, um, I'm doing three law enforcement coalitions with Hung Kao, uh, Karina yep. Lipsman, and Yesley Vega. And what I'm just doing for them is exactly what I did for Governor Yunka. And I am helping them kind of gather intel and do roundtables and, you know, what are the key issues? Introducing them to the Police Benevolent mm -hmm. Association or the FOP or whatever sheriff it is that they can, you know, um, get information from that's in their district. And so I think it's just information is so powerful and important. And so many people are misinformed, like we said at the beginning of this conversation about mm -hmm. what the key issues are that law enforcement is really facing in our state. So if we can get them the information that they need and they can be more knowledgeable when they're out in the public and they're speaking about it, then guess what? That public gets more information. They get more detailed information about what people are really going through instead of what they're hearing on the news. <laughs> and by the <laughs> way, I want to point out, I just thought of something while you were speaking, right, guys? And I'm not, this is not meant to be an overtly even political statement. It's not. I, it's a statement of fact. And as many of you know, I, I say this all the time, feelings are not facts. I was just out at a, uh, that's, this is how Melissa and I met. I went to a round table for Yesley Vega, who's running here in the 7th District. She invited me out and I went to this round table. Okay. Talked to, she. so she assembled all these law enforcement leaders and we had discussions very similar to what we just talked about on this podcast. Hung Kao has been on, those of you that listen to this podcast, Hung Kao has been on this podcast and we've talked about these issues. Uh, Jim Miles, who is 
running for Congress. He's been on this uh, podcast twice, and we have, and I've talked to him extensively offline about the issues that we're talking about. Um, uh, Karina Lipsman is going to come on this podcast, but I spoke to her on Saturday about the issues that we're talking about. Um, notice who has not had these conversations. And, and so if you're out there and you're not a deeply political person, I want you to say every single person that I named is a Republican running in Northern Virginia, and they are deeply interested in the health and welfare of our first responders. But interestingly, not one person on the other side has ever talked to me or talked to the other law enforcement officers that I know of, and I, and I have a pretty extensive network up here. Um, I've never been invited. I would go. I would go and talk to any of these people. But I've just never been invited, isn't that it? I didn't know it. It's funny. I didn't really let that sink in until you just j- just said what you said right now, Melissa. It's interesting. Well, I'll take that a step further. If you, for one example, the Police Benevolent Association held some interviews this past week uh, to endorse candidates or give them more information about kind of what's going on, you will be hard pressed to find Democrats that actually showed up to Mm -hmm. have the conversation. They won't even show up and have the conversation at this point. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, you know, they want to flip the script now. They want to say that Republicans are the ones that are not supporting law enforcement. You're not even showing up, but you can go on Twitter and say that you back the blue. It's not cool. Right. So folks, I'm, I'm just pointing out, I'm pointing out the fact that I've, these discussions that we've had today, I've never ever had those these discussions with any of the Democrat candidates. Again, not taking sides. I'm just pointing out the fact. Interesting. Right. Right. And that I think that tells you all that you need to know on that. And uh, so, Melissa, before we go, just I'll let you close out. Anything that I didn't ask you about that you think that is important for the listeners to know about, and um, maybe if if you if you want to let them know how they can get hold of you or uh, any resources you think that would be important for them to know about. Sure. Um, One of the things I'll say is that I I think we're not doing the best job of showing up uh, when these events happen or when people uh, are trying to kind of rally people together to go out into the community and share the message. I think people need to do a better job of that. Um, My organization is called we back blue, not we back the blue. It's just we back blue. We, the people back the blue. And um, it's webackblue.com. I'm webackblueusa on Instagram. And follow me and DM me and, you know, contact me with any questions. I've I've done a really good job of trying to um, network with everybody across the country in law enforcement and and get my views straight and and make sure that I have the most up-to-date current information instead of some of these groups are out here saying, oh, I back the blue, you know, donate, donate. I'm not one of those people. I'm out there putting my money where my mouth is and I'm out there actually helping uh, communities and candidates and the state of Virginia uh, get in a better place for our law enforcement because I love them. Yeah, and I can attest to that. I showed up at an event on Saturday. The Governor Youngkin was at up in McLean, Virginia, and I get out of the car. Look who's there. <laughs> it's me. Saturday morning. It oh, was me. Yep. <laughs> she is there. Hey, I, I tell you folks, and she's, she's absolutely right. Get out, attend these events, attend these events. And support the police and our men, the men and women of our uh, police departments and all of our firefighters and EMTs and corrections officers and all these people. Let them know how much you care about them because uh, we know that you do. And and sometimes uh, they just need to hear it. Okay. Don't just assume that they know that you're there for them. Let them know and show up to these events. And uh, for goodness sake, 
participate in this system. If you don't do politics, politics will do you, and you're really not going to like it. So with that, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you uh, for having me. This was great. Oh, it is. And folks, once again, uh, you know, just... Stay involved in this this process. Check us out. You know, check out my Facebook site and um, and it, the Mike Van Meter Show. We have that uh, that Facebook site, and then also if you're interested in following me as I uh, start to gear up for my campaign, it's Van Meter for Virginia, and that's uh, spelled out F O R, not the number four, but Van Meter for Virginia. And uh, check out Melissa and her website, which is WeBackBlue.com. Support her and and all of the work. And I know that Governor Yunkin is going to have a lot of programs being or programs that are being rolled out support him support those programs and guys we can do this i'm telling you we are going to take this country back and we're going to be better than ever that's what i think i think we're going to be better than we were before but we're going to do it together take care talk to you soon